It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. One, a pro-Palestinian riot, an insurrection at the United States Capitol, illustrates that the threat to American values was always inside of America. Two, more than three decades on the court in the NBA. Referee Kenny Maurer has sued for his religious freedom, and we can never let them just turn the page on covid Three, the fallout begins this weekend in the Big Ten. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to the weekend. Welcome to Friday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on YouTube and follow me on X at Will Kane. It's time. For the annual Squirrel Hunt and Catfish Rodeo. I've taken the weekend off from Fox and Friends to stay back home in the great state of Texas. And this weekend, while I have buddies who are traveling to Wyoming and North Dakota to hunt antelope, or spending their time, way too much time, in Canada, just getting incredible harvests of ducks... I am hunting squirrels in East Texas. Yep. As much as I've put into my New Year's resolutions that I want to rededicate myself to duck hunting, and I do, I got about one of those trips on the calendar in this past 12 months. But I have to always make sure that on the calendar every year, I can make it to far, deep, dark green West Texas, East Texas, to pretend that I'm hunting for squirrels. This is a family and friends affair. There's going to be about a dozen of us dudes out there, including my oldest son, who has now for two years passed the age threshold of 13 to join the men on the hunt for the wilderness's smallest creatures. In the forests of East Texas. Man, you know what it is. I mean, you know what's in danger. It's not squirrels. What's in danger are wise choices. There will be far more abuse of my body than there will be of any of the woodlands tree dwellers. I think in two years we've killed one squirrel. But we've killed a lot of silver bullets. It's a good time like any good hunting trip is. There's a lot of campfire, a lot of debating what the best country song is, a lot of peanut butter or whiskey or whatever is passed around the campfire. It is a rite of passage. It's an annual tradition. And while we basically strike out at the squirrels, we we don't in fellowship. We don't in reconnecting with our roots, and we don't when it comes to catfish. Oh, boy, we bring in the catfish. Now, I'm talking monsters. We will bring in some monsters, and we will cook them up. We will have a fry. 
come Saturday night. I, you know what? I'll do my best to post some pictures on Instagram, see Will Kane. I'll try my best not to go live. I don't think most of what will be said will be appropriate for public broadcast, but I'll do my best to bring you into the annual squirrel hunt and catfish rodeo. And I told you last year, my favorite part of the trip is really honestly the three-hour drive east with my son. Next year, I'll have two sons join me on the squirrel hunt and catfish rodeo. But this year, we'll see. I'll come back on Monday's episode. I'll let you know which is, in fact, after a year of debate, the greatest country and Western song. I'll I'll let you know who is the best college football team. There will be easily a dozen hours devoted to that debate. And I I will come down back with my head high or hung low as there will be equally as many Houston Astros fans around the campfire as there will be Texas Rangers fans. So we'll see at the end of the weekend who, uh, well, who won that debate. I doubt we'll be able to settle who is the best squirrel hunter. A few emails and texts from you, the listener of the Will Came Podcast at willcamepodcast at fox.com. Diane Walzik emails in David Bellavia Podcast. David Bellavia is a true American hero that is passionate about the USA. Very interesting hearing firsthand actions, thoughts, and strategy. Will, David did not win the Medal of Honor, as you repeatedly commented. He earned it. Thank you, Diane. I've been corrected on more than one platform and more than one occasion about the fact that in that episode, I referred to David Bellavia as a Medal of Honor winner. I stand corrected, and I appreciate your feedback. You earn it. You receive the Medal of Honor. You do not win the Medal of Honor. Thomas Shannon emails in, Will, exceptional interview. Appreciate how you let your guests thoroughly answer the question. Hope you continue doing this. Tom Shannon, Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you, Tom. I completely intend to keep having these types of conversations. This is from Kim Carter. She emails in, Will, my husband is a 15-year active-duty Army JAG officer. The Army of today is not the Army he joined in 2008. Though he's an officer, Staff Sergeant Bellavia, with all due respect, says it's part of the reason why the Army has gone soft. I would submit that the issue is not necessarily just with the officer corps. There's a big difference between those with 10-plus years' experience and those soldiers with only a few years in service. These young kids have been brought up with more, quote, woke curriculum. They see microaggressions everywhere. They drop entirely unfounded claims of sexual assault that require months of investigation just because they hate their commander or a member of their platoon. My husband taught law at the military academy for a year and had future LTs beg for mercy after low test scores because they had test anxiety. It's madness and reflects a shift in our culture. The military is just a microcosm of our society, and it is scary. Thank you for all the great episodes on the war in Israel. I appreciate the thoughtful way you approach the issue. One last thought. Go Rangers. Best, Kim Carter. Yes, Kim. Go Rangers. And I suspect that you're right. The military is just a microcosm of society. And in fact, I think that was the interesting point made by Staff Sergeant Bellavia, that the military wanted to begin to be accepted by larger society, to be accepted into elite circles. In order to do that, you couldn't simply be a four-star general. You had to be a four-star general with a degree from Harvard. Whether or not it was from the bottom up, whether it is from the bottom up, 
from young soldiers and young students who have been brought into this microaggression, woke sensitivity culture, or it's ambition at the highest levels of not just military, but finance and corporate CEOs, we are under a vice grip of losing ourselves, of losing our identity, losing our values. I don't say those as, as catchphrases. I said those with specific intent because they all add up to losing America, which brings me to story number one. <laughs> Hundreds, thousands of individuals show up at the United States Capitol, the Cannon Building, in what is just short of a riot but satisfies every modern definition of an insurrection in taking over the rotunda, the buildings, and interrupting official proceedings to – Protest, as they describe the Israeli aggression on Gaza, calling for a ceasefire, declaring support for Palestine, young people, individuals, seemingly chaotic, began to resemble exactly what happened on January 6th. Now, I'm not going to draw a false equivalency. What happened on January 6th was much more violent, much more destructive, but... For many of the people that sit in jail cells in Washington, D.C. today, some with like 18-year sentences, if you haven't kept up with January 6th, whether or not you're on the left or the right, or whether or not it's a bipartisan consensus that what happened on January 6th was terrible, if you haven't kept up with that news story, there are people rotting away in jails, honestly, honestly, without due process today. Some denied bail. Some had their charges ramped up to much beyond commonsensical understandings of the law. And many receiving severe sentences, again, in some cases, which amounted to trespassing, vandalism charges. But you can be assured that what happened this week in support of Palestinians will not be met with the same level of seriousness within the justice system as they treated January 6th. But honestly, that hypocrisy, while important, isn't the focus for me here today on the Will Kane podcast. I have a different takeaway. The takeaway from what you see there in the United States Capitol is a representation, an illustration, a hint into exactly how it is we lost and I hate to speak definitively or in the past tense, and I hope it's a train that still has some brakes on the car, but how we are losing the United States of America. First, what does look chaotic or organic or grassroots has been revealed to be so clearly not. You've seen pictures that have been posted online about different people on Signal. Signal is an app where you can't have, it's an encrypted app for texting and group messaging where it's supposed to have extreme privacy parameters. But there are screenshots. If you have the Signal app open on your phone and somebody behind you takes a picture, you can see what was going on and you can see some of the, the, the screenshots of the people involved in this protest and what they were, how they were communicating. They were in Signal groups, Signal groups named JVP, which is the Jewish voice for peace. The Jewish voice for peace has been described by the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, as extremely anti-Israel. Um, on top of that, there was a signal group that one of the members in there that day seemed to be organizing under the heading of Global Intifada. Uh, Intifada is an uprising. There was a first and second Intifada 
in Gaza and the West Bank in the 1980s and 1990s, I believe that's right, or 1990s and early 2000s, um, where you had chaotic terroristic acts in, in defiance of the Israeli soldiers and Israeli government, not a full-scale war like the Yom Kippur War or the Six-Day War. Those are all incidences coming up in future episodes of the Will Came Podcast as we work our way through our three-part history between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But an intifada is an uprising, not a peaceful uprising. And these students, these young people, these protesters, these rioters, these insurrectionists, rallying under the banner, a signal group entitled Global Intifada. On one of those text chains, captured in a picture by Marjorie Taylor Greene, there was a, an, a name that Internet sleuths went and looked up. Now, if it's the same name, if it's the same person, what's revealed is that person is an attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center. And that person in the Southern Poverty Law Center has, if it is true, if it is the same person, has been involved in other riots and uprisings like the Atlanta Cop City mob in that city some time ago. So what the first takeaway from this incident is, is it shows you this isn't grassroots or chaotic. What we quickly learned, for example, with the BLM protest is these are funded. These are supplied. These are organized by people with an understanding, with a stated purpose, with a goal. And maybe perhaps we listen to them when they rally under the banner of global intifada. Now, that brings me to the second observation. This happens in the same 24-hour period that the United States State Department issues a worldwide warning for Americans traveling abroad. That a worldwide warning for Americans that terrorist threats throughout the globe represent a threat for Americans' ability to move freely. This is two days after declaring that Americans should take precaution or avoid traveling to Lebanon. Two days later, that's expanded to the world. And I think we would be naive to believe that we can simply exempt the borders of the United States of America as somehow safe, that we would be warned against traveling to Paris, but somehow safe walking down the street in New York City. Not when we understand the status of the American southern border. Not when we understand the status of the threat at home. Those threats best well represented by protest and riots and support, not just at the United States Capitol, but on American college campuses, in the streets of American cities. You can't at the same time tell me I'm unsafe to travel abroad while, while I watch a global intifada rally here at home. Speaking of these college campuses where all of these big outpourings of success, first in student letters, then in student marches in support of Palestine, on the heels of this terrorist attack by Hamas that's left 1,400 people dead in Israel, there's been an uprising of billionaires who are saying they are going to deny their previously undying financial support of universities across the nation. I'm going to give you one illustration, but there are so many that have stepped up, these billionaires, and said that they're no longer just going to give, give, give to these universities that tolerate this hate, hate, hate. Pen donor Clifford Asness says, I do not like making something like this about money, but it appears to be the one of the only paths that has any hope of mattering. 
Penn hosted a Palestine rights event that he called the Anti-Semitic Burning Man Festival. He will no longer support financially the University of Pennsylvania. You've seen other billionaires step up and say, I'm not going to support Harvard. I'm not going to support this Ivy League institution. Famously, the Wexler Group, which is one of the founding families and groups of Victoria's Secrets. Not for nothing, but the Wexlers also tied up the patriarch of the Wexler fortune and family tied up in the Jeffrey Epstein affair, one of the biggest financial backers and supporters of Jeffrey Epstein. But that group also denying their billions to Harvard. And my takeaway from this is, all right, I see now you are standing up for something. These universities can't continue to get away with this type of endorsement, not tolerance, endorsement, because there's been plenty of speech that these universities have not tolerated. There's been plenty of speakers that they've turned away, and it, we could rattle off the list of American mainline conservative speakers denounced as racist or homophobic or whatever your slur de jour to which the universities usually bend towards the arc of censorship intolerance. So when they tolerate something's extreme of what we've seen for the past week, it can be interpreted as nothing more than an endorsement. But where have those billionaires been in the past? Where have they been when college campuses have divorced themselves from American values? Now, this is part of the conversation that, that always runs the threat of losing people. You know, there, when I, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. I truly mean that. I think it is bigger than a partisan lens. And I don't think that I sit here and can drape myself in the American flag to say I get to define what is American. But I think I can objectively look at history, whether or not it's the American founding documents, the American founding culture, its place in history, its, its, its evolution out of the Western Enlightenment, Judeo-Christian ethics, out of the Socratic and, and, and Greek philosophies. You can look at it and say, what is America? What are American values? And there's some, there's some that you would think, you would hope you'd arrive at some universal consensus or at least some overwhelming consensus. Belief in private property rights. Man can pursue his life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Sometimes it's interchangeable in those documents, the pursuit of property. A general conception of freedom, then when, when put to the test between safety and freedom, the American, the American ideology, the American mindset is to instinctually lean towards freedom, towards smaller government as a political philosophy that better preserves freedom, individual liberty. You can choose and I can choose and we don't have to choose the same life. There are certain values, free speech, foundational to the United States of America, that you would think, and we could sit here and, and enunciate and enumerate them together, but you would think we would rally around. But American college campuses have undoubtedly, undoubtedly untethered themselves from those American values. Whether or not it's in pursuit of progress, progression, progressive values, a utopic idea of the future, 
that the past is always at sin and the future is always a blessing, that you can do better than your forefathers, totally lacking in humility, but empowered with the ability to change society recklessly. Whatever motivation, they have moved away from a common set of values. And it's not just on American college campuses. It's in our culture as well. Look, we like to think that one of America's founding values is empathy. Give us your tired, your weak, your poor, your hungry. It reads, it's understood under the Statue of Liberty. But that doesn't mean we accept every refugee, every illegal immigrant. That doesn't mean we don't understand that we have to have people come into this country that as well believe in these American values. And so where were these billionaires when these college campuses divorced themselves from nonpartisan, truly understood foundational values of America. They were nowhere to be seen. And you can't have a tribe. You can't have a tribe without a common identity. We've talked about the concept of tribe. Tribes throughout history have organized themselves around some commonality, a commonality of religion, a commonality of race or ethnicity, a commonality of geographic location. What was the great historical departure of our experiment was that our commonality was our values. But if we don't have a core set of common values, we don't have a tribe. And if we don't have a tribe, we have no national identity. We have nothing to rally around. We are simply waiting to be conquered. Conquered because of our division. In my continued study of what happened in the Middle East in the early periods of Zionism between the Palestinians and the Israelis, one of the weaknesses of the Palestinians, one of the reasons that colonization went so successfully for the Israelis, is they had a common cause, a common identity to their tribe. The Arab tribes of the Middle East had different cultures and different dialects and different beliefs and different families. And the long arc of history had always led them to believe there was no need for them to rally under a banner, a flag, a nation. They were divided. And because they were divided, they never could mount any type of common defense, any type of common unifying pushback, unified pushback against Zionism. Same thing right here in the United States of America. The American Indian tribes, as much as they lost to the American pioneer because of technological disadvantages, they also couldn't work together. The Sioux and the Comanche spoke different languages. They were historical enemies. Not, maybe not those two tribes directly. One was too far south, the other too far north for too much direct interaction. But the Comanche and the Apache spoke different languages, have different histories. They've been killing each other for hundreds of years. They couldn't turn and simply become a unified front to protect against what was a unified front encroaching upon them from the east. So here we are today. What unifies our tribe? It doesn't seem to be. There's no protection in support of our values. And so we arrive at this place in American history, much like the American Indians or the early Palestinians, divided. Look at this poll um, from August 25th to September 11th. A poll of 2008 registered voters 
published on the Miami Herald, published by the Miami Herald, that reveals exactly the depth of the division in the United States of America. When asked if it's acceptable to employ violence to stop political opponents from attaining their goals, 41% of Biden supporters and 38% of Trump supporters said yes. To employ violence to stop their opponent from attaining political goals. 41% of Biden voters, 38% of Trump supporters said yes to violence. 30% of Trump supporters and 25% of Biden supporters said elections should be suspended in a time of crisis. 41% of Trump supporters and 30% of Biden supporters said they favor either conservative or liberal states seceding from the union. And nearly half of Biden supporters, 47%, but also 35% of Trump supporters said the government should restrict the expression of views considered discriminatory or offensive. In short, embracing censorship, divorcing themselves from the value of free speech, punishing thine opponent. Embrace censorship as long as it is at my enemy, my divided American. This is conducted by the Pew Research Center. This poll shows exactly the depths of division here in the United States of America. That is illustrated, by the way, by those protests across college campuses. That is highlighted by that riot, that insurrection in the U.S. Capitol by pro-Palestinians under the banner of global intifada. What you are looking at is a nation that is losing its common set of values. And what you are looking at in the future, if we continue down that path, is a nation that has no rallying point. No unifying factor. No banner which brings us together. We never had race. We never really had religion. We had Judeo-Christian ethics, Christian foundation in our documents. Always part of who we were, but never limited with a freedom of religion. So what did we have? We only had our common values, and we have lost those values. And from that loss, from that, we now divided Divided, divided on political lines, left and right, Republican, Democrat, divided on racial lines, divided on every single, line, single possible line. And when we are divided and we are met with people migrating into this country, people educating themselves in some enlightened manner away from our values, when we are divided like that, we are ripe, like the early Palestinians or the Native Americans, we are ripe to be conquered. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. 
So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Story number two. 30 plus years in the NBA on the court. Referee Kenny Maurer has been there through Michael Jordan all the way up to James Harden. He has been a face you recognize if you watch the NBA, but no more. Kenny's been terminated by the NBA for refusing the COVID vaccine. He is suing now for his religious freedom. I saw a tweet the other day from Awful Announcing where Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show talking, as he often does, about COVID. And the tweet by this, this um, it's really not a very big blog at all. It's a small little publication, but called Awful Announcing. It, it said, it's October 2023, and Aaron Rodgers is the last person still talking about Dr. Fauci. No, that's not true. You live in a bubble. The rest of the country understands what was done to us. COVID, it is not over. There will most likely be an, uh, an effort to bring it back in terms of new vaccine mandates, a new wave of COVID, but it'll never take the way it did the first time around, where we literally fired people for not taking an ineffective fact, fact, did not stop transition, transmission as sold to us, an ineffective vaccine that some said, no, that doesn't pass my cost-benefit analysis. Some like referee Kenny Maurer. He joins me today right here on the Will Kane podcast to talk about his fight against being forced to take that vaccine to retain his job with the NBA and his fight for religious freedom. Here's Kenny Maurer. Kenny Maurer, anybody that's an NBA fan is at least familiar with your face, if not your name. We've been seeing you in the NBA on the court for 36 years. Sometimes love, Kenny, sometimes hate, depending on which way the calls go. Uh, But I think everyone listening right now can probably hate the way this call went with the NBA. You were fired last fall for refusing the COVID vaccine. First, let's start with this. Why did you refuse the vaccine? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Will. I've uh, always been a big fan of yours. I'm not I'm not always a, a big fan of, of mainstream media, but I've remained a big fan of yours. How's that? I'm oh, to get flattered. that out right away. I Thank mean, you. No, I'm, and, I'm, and I don't uh, say that um, flippantly. But anyway, um, it was easy for me a couple years ago, Will. Um, the NBA conveniently changed the last year of our referee's contract to say that if you don't vote in the mandate – you will not be allowed to referee in the NBA. So I went to a vote of 73 referees, men and women, and it was voted in 56, I think, to 17 or whatever. So um, the seven, 17 of us did not want to take the vaccine. We, you know, we were hearing a lot of the same things that you've heard and so many other people have heard. We didn't know a lot about it, but the NBA then offered us a religious and medical exemption, which the, the ones that uh, wanted to move forward without taking the vaccine, we all chose to take a religious uh, exemption, and the, the NBA denied every one of them. So a couple of years ago, well, it was easy for me. Um, I, uh, I've i been a you know Christian my whole life. I've uh, practiced the Catholic faith, but I've been a Christian my whole life, and I, I just didn't believe in aborted fetal cells. I didn't believe in um, uh, changing one's uh, DNA through the MR, mRNA. I just didn't believe in that. I just didn't, didn't want to do that. And so my wife and I sat down and 
I'm not saying it was an easy decision, Will, but it was one that um, I don't regret. And um, I, I, I would do the same thing again. Um, because of my religious beliefs, I chose not to take the vaccine. And um, then two years later, you know, the world's gone upside down. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that. You know, it's it's not important to me, Kenny, why you um, you declined the vaccine. I think every single individual should have the right to choose their own medical path, regardless of their reasoning. But the NBA required you to put forward a reason. They required you to um, submit a religious exemption. And you just laid out part of your reasoning to satisfy that religious exemption. You said you didn't believe in using aborted fetal uh, cells and tissue to develop the vaccine. I've seen, I've seen that you've been fact-checked on that from places like Sports Illustrated. I think the fact-checked in and of themselves are somewhat contradictory in that they, they say there was no fetal tissue used in the vaccine, but they were used in the development, in the testing phase of the vaccine. The fact-check then goes on to say there's all kinds of medicines that use a similar process. Um, what do you say to that? I mean, they would say you would need to, these fact checkers have said, did you offer a similar complaint when it came to ibuprofens or acetaminophens or any others that might've used that in the same developmental phase of a medicine? Well, first of all, well, I've heard all of this about 150 times, so that's fine. Uh, I've always said, well, if you want to check with the so-called fact checkers, I've always said in the development and or manufacturing of the vaccine. So let's make that very clear. Now, you can go check your, your, the ingredients of your ivermectin and your ivermectin, and you'll find that the ivermectin and, um, and um, ivermectin and, excuse me, hydroxychloroquine do not have aborted fetal cells or mRNA in them. So go back to your fact checkers and say, you know what, first of all, I did take ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and I can show them the data that the you know, NIH and the CDC is now saying about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine too. But again, that's not the issue. That has nothing to do with what you and I are talking about. And you're right. Later on in the interview, I would have said, this is not about politics, but other people are making it political. My employer is making it political. It's about them offering me a religious exemption. And it really doesn't matter, Will, what you think or the fact checkers think or anybody else thinks. That's my religious belief. I stand by my religious belief. And everybody in this country should be allowed to practice their religion and their medical beliefs. I'm for freedom. I'm for freedom of both, and I was denied both. I totally agree. I, I you know, I, it's interesting. I, I, were I running the NBA or anyone who is applying for an exemption, wouldn't consider myself worthy of a seat to consider your religious um, authenticity of your claim. I, I also wouldn't even tie it to your religious beliefs. I would just say you're a free man who can choose what's injected into his body, and your employment should not be predicated on that type of mandate. Um, do you, uh, do you think, Kenny, do do you know, what is the current state of the NBA? Like what does a ref now or a player for that matter have to satisfy? Did have they been required to keep up with every single booster? What is required of someone involved with the NBA? That's a great question, Will. I'm glad you asked it. Um, well, first of all, everybody was mandated to take the vaccine. And then before the end of you know, all these years are going by now, but, but by the end of the 2021, 2021 season in order, you no, know, excuse me, I'm sorry, the 21-22 season, you had to be mandated with the vaccine and booster in order to work the playoffs. Well, then the seven-year contract that I talk about, there is no mention of any mandate to take a vaccine in the new seven-year deal that was signed last October. 
So again, I haven't been privy to a lot of the ins and outs of what's going on legally. I do still talk to a few people. And because of the lawsuit, I'm very privy to what, you know, what's going on as far as contracts are concerned. But right now, there is no mandate for players. Well, there's no mandate for anyone in the arena. There's no mandate for referees. But yet I just found out that they mandated on the application for all new referees that wanted to attend summer camp this past year, that they had to be vaccinated and boosted in order to attend summer camp. These young referees that are trying to get a job in the NBA, even though they say in our contract it's not mandated, they're saying that these young referees still have to be mandated and boosted in order to refer in order to go to summer camp. So it's very confusing. It's very conflicting. It's very hypocritical as far as I'm concerned. So I I hope I'm answering your question. Um, according to the contract, there's no more mandates to take the vaccine, but yet new hires are, are they're making sure that they were vaccinated and boosted. So if there's no more mandates, then I should be able to return to work, right? You would think. And I would also be curious, and I don't know if it's laid out in the contract, what does it mean to be boosted? You know, the Biden administration is talking about a new booster this coming fall. So is an NBA referee, in order to maintain employment, required to keep up with every new booster that is issued? That's a great question. Well, I don't know. Um, uh, I believe they just finished their camp. It's a veterans. It's a a camp that's held with all the referees management, you know, in New York uh, at the beginning of every season to take physicals, et cetera, et cetera, new rules. And to the best of my knowledge, um, there was no talk of any mandate. There was no talk of any uh, new booster that each referee was going to be mandated to take at the physical. So that's all I know. I mean, I I, I don't know. We're going to find out a lot of information. You know, discovery is moving forward. Depositions are on their way. And we're going to be deposing a lot of NBA people, both medical and, you know, all the big boys in the league office. So we'll find out. We're going to ask all those same questions. And I'd love to come back and tell you because I'm anxious to hear the same thing. But um, they've always been so up in the air from the very beginning. First of all, they weren't going to mandate. Then they were. Then they weren't. Uh, The players, as you well know, were never mandated. The players in the NFL were never mandated. Major League Baseball players were never mandated. NFL referees were never mandated. And Major League Baseball umpires were never mandated. But because our NBA referee, our, our, our union, so weak, wanted to make themselves, you know, you know, in, in good terms with, with the NBA office, decided that, you know, we're going we're gonna to push forward this contract because this is what our employer wants to do. You know, two years ago, I would have said and did say, because I was still on staff, has the, have, have the players mandated? Have they been mandated? The answer was no. Well, two weeks before the season, what were they going to do? Well, if we didn't sign the contract, were they going to go out and get 73 referees? So, I mean, I don't know why we felt it necessary to mandate this vaccine. Again, I come back to what you said so eloquently. No one should be mandated to take a vaccine in their arm if they don't want to. If you want to, I think it's fine. I will still meet with you, have lunch with you, be your friend. I don't judge people on whether or not they want to take the vaccine. I don't judge people on what religion religion they want to belong to. I don't care if it's Hindu or Protestant or Catholic, but people, again, should be allowed to, to, to you know take part in whatever religion or medical practice that they want. Yeah, we've had Jonathan Isaac, NBA player who who famously has refused the vaccine on this program. I didn't realize until you just laid it out that not only were players not mandated, but every other umpire and referee union and other professional sports were not required to mandate. What an indictment of your union leadership. Well, I've said that, and I'm sure I'm not held in great esteem right now, but I'll say it again. They're very weak. The lawyers are very weak. They did. They and I kept saying, "Are you representing the the referees? Are you or are you working with the NBA?" Again, 
Hockey referees were the only other professional referee that had to because of Canada. Canada was so vigilant on making everybody take the back then. Again, a lot of people forget, Will, what went on two years ago. Now all they want to do is they want to push it under the rug. Let's go. Let, let's move forward. Everything's hokey dokey. You know, everything's great. And that's just not, we have to go back and look at what took place. Why did it take place? Why did the NBA do this? Why? I mean, why did they, why were they so vigilant on making everybody? What was their end goal? Why? I mean, do they not know that people have suffered and died from this? What, what, what are they, what are they trying to accomplish here? But again, um, that's why I'm going to court. I had two choices. Well, I could either just go off into the sunset or I could get a lawyer and um, three of us are suing them in federal court. Well, that's why I asked you about the the continued mandate under um, a regime of boosters, because the response, I imagine, was and will be to you that it was required to maintain some type of safety protocol for everybody involved in the NBA. But that safety protocol requires you to believe that the vaccine offered safety. And if you don't if you don't continue with the booster regime, you're admitting that the vaccine wasn't the safety you know, prophylactic that you, you pretended it to be, that, that it didn't work. And, and then therefore, to answer your question, Kenny, about why they did it in that moment in time, therefore, it wasn't about safety. It wasn't about science. It was giving in to this public hysteria at the time, at the moment. I mean, that's my guess. That's my answer for, for the, the reasoning of the NBA. Simply, if I had Mark Cuban on, it would simply be he would dress it up in some type of interesting language, but it would simply be to simply go along to get along, to give in to the public panic. I, well, I, I agree with you. And let me, let me take it one step further. First of all, the NBA doesn't do anything that isn't you know, money-orientated. You mean to tell me that you know, the NBA was just going to do this without being compensated whatsoever? We know the NFL was compensated. We like to find out whether the NBA was as well. But let's take it one step further. First of all, safety and health has nothing to do with your religious convictions. That's number one. I believe your religious convictions override anything to do with safety and health. There's many people that have died for their religions, you know, as, as far as or many people coming over. Like I say, there's a quote that I have. I don't have with me right now, but people came came over on the Mayflower and their religious beliefs, you know, were far surpassed anything to do with safety and health. But let me take you one step further. Will. Let me ask you this question. And I would beg you to try to answer it. If it was worth, if it was all about safety and health, why didn't they mandate the players? Right. No, I can't answer that question. And another thing. I, what they, what, no, you can't. What they did was they mandated the people at the table. They mandated journalism people like yourself that would sit at courtside. They mandated the fans. They mandated the coaches. They mandated the referee. They mandated, mandated everybody to protect the product, but they never mandated the product to protect the people. Why? Why? And again, that's that just leads to, if you're going to go down safety and health with me, boy, I tell you, when Dr. McCullough, you know, and uh, Dr. Nord, you know, Northrup and Dr. Cole, when they all show up in the courtroom, we'll love to talk about safety and health with you. They're, 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 hey, they're more than willing to talk about safety and health if the NBA wants to go down that road. But the point is, is that my, my religious convictions said that this had, you know, they used aborted fetal cells in the development and or manufacturing. Okay, they use it and, and the horrific harvesting of these cells that they use. I'm just plain not for that. So my religious beliefs, and they offered the religious exemption, Will. I didn't ask for it. They offered it. And then they denied everyone. And I'm trying to figure out, on what grounds did you deny my religious exemption? The fact that I took ivermectin? 
what does that have to do well, with my religious beliefs? The fact that they're saying that it didn't have a board. Yes, it did have aborted fetal cells in the development and or manufacturing. So those are the two reasons they denied my religious, uh, my religious exemption. And we just don't feel that's justified. You're not allowed by law, by constitution to deny one's religious beliefs. And I believe, I believe, Kenny, that, that I don't, have you already been through a few depositions with the NBA? No, depositions are starting, as a matter of fact, this month. Well, I believe there's been, I've read about the exchanges between the NBA or its attorneys and maybe other referees where they've pursued these two lines of, of, of argument with you. Um, one, that the Pope, and you were Catholic, I believe you have, I don't know if you have converted to Baptist, or I know, I believe you submitted a letter from a Baptist preacher certifying your genuine religious belief, but they, w- they pointed to the Pope embracing the vaccine. That's one line of argument. Is that correct? Well, first of all, did you see the entire quote, Will? Or are you only taking the, the one sentence snippet that all of you, all the people that are you're relating to? Did you, I have the entire two page statement made by the Pope. That will be read in my deposition. Because well, it if also, you read the. Okay, but if it you would read also the occur to me that quote, the, the Pope doesn't absolve you of your religious belief. I, I wouldn't think. I'm not a Catholic, Kenny, but I mean. No. Um, I, well, I I may not have a full quote, but I also would find it unnecessary in that the easy response to that, I would think, would be, that's good for the Pope, but it's not right for my religious ab- belief. You're absolutely right, Will. You're, you, you took the words out of my mouth. First of all, the Pope, pope is a human being. And, um, you know, I may respect the Pope, but I don't always agree on everything that the Pope has to say. First of all, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm, I practice Catholic. I've been a Catholic my, my life, but I'm a Christian. And I don't think that there's anything in the Bible that says anything about, you know, um, um, aborted fetal cells being allowed in one's, you know, term, you know, one's thinking as far as, as whether or not I should be inserting either a vaccine or something into my body that has, you know, dead fetal tissue in it or the developing of. But you're right that the Pope doesn't make. And then I, they asked me the same question, Will. And I, went, I said to this, I said, um, back in World War II, Will, a lot of, Beautiful Jewish people were slaughtered by the by the by the Germans, and it's common knowledge now that the Vatican knew what was going on and didn't do a thing about it. Do you will agree with the Pope's stance at that time? Just say yes or no. No. Now let me talk to you about the Pope in the nineteen eighties when all the priests were molesting young children, and the Pope did not punish one priest, but rather moved priests around. Will do you do you agree with the Pope's stance in the nineteen eighties? No, and that therefore does not mean an endorsement by the Pope defines religious belief, to your point. You're exactly right. You're, you're, I'm, I'm agreeing with you 100%, and you're, yeah. yes, you're saying the exact thing I am, and I try to tell the people, don't give me one quote that was taken out of context by a Pope. First of all, I don't agree with that on his stances, and I can give you quotes by 16 cardinals that came out and totally you know, were, 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 were appalled by what he had said. But again, it was just part of the quote. He goes into right. moral and ethics about the way you feel morally and ethically about this vaccine. And if you feel this way, you should not be taken. There's more to that quote than you think. It's just the naysayers and the people. But again, again, the Pope can believe whatever he wants. And, you know, other people can believe whatever they want. But it really doesn't matter, Will. That's not what I believe. And that's not my religious conviction. And, and uh, no one's going to change my religious beliefs. Not the NBA, not anybody. Everybody can have their opinions, and I, please, I respect all of their opinions, but I ask people to respect mine. And so the second line of argument, Kenny, that they're going to try to make, mm-hmm. I imagine, in this case for you, is that your religious belief is not genuine. And I, I, mm-hmm. I wish them the best of luck in that. But they're trying to make the argument that your belief is somehow political or medical, as though those are um, 
those are insufficient. But there's, they're, they're going to try to make the argument that your religious belief isn't, isn't genuine. And that goes to what I said earlier. They're going to try to point out hypocrisy. And they are going to say, do you take X medicine, Kenny? Whatever that medicine may be. Again, I've read, I don't know for a fact, but simple ibuprofens, right? Pain relievers might use field tissue in their developmental stage. Might not be in the might not be in the Advil that you take over the counter, but in the development of that Advil along its way, it used fetal tissue. And they'll say to you, Kenny, do you take Advil? And they're going to attempt to point to that hypocrisy as evidence that your religious belief is not genuine. I, I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of that. Very good. But first of all, please show me where aborted fetal cells were in the development or manufacture of, 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 of uh, Advil. And you know what? I, I don't believe that's the case. But if it is, I won't take Advil. I will knowingly not take anything. And again, I like to ask the question, who's going to determine my religious beliefs in the NBA, Will? You know, for almost 40 years that I refereed, they didn't know if I went to church on Sunday. They didn't know if I was married in a Catholic church. They didn't know if I took communion. They didn't know if I received my, you know, they didn't know anything. They didn't know anything about my, my Catholic faith or my Christian faith for 40 years. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to judge me on my Catholic faith. Right. Well, I welcome right. those questions. Well, I really do, and um, I really do. I, 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 in fact, not. Hey, I have several Jew. In fact, my lawyer is one of my favorite people in the world. He's Jewish, but I had a Jewish lawyer interview me about my Christian faith. Okay, well, I have a lot of. We have a lot of questions for him in the deposition too. He's going to be. He's going to be deposed too. Well, I think it's fascinating that they cast themselves in the seat of of a religious purity test. I mean, if you're going to point to hypocrisy as as whether or not a a, a belief is held genuinely, boy, you got a bit. The line runs out the door and around the world of of hypocrisy or failing to live the purest on whether or not you are truly conviction. You have true convictions. <laughs> you are so right, and, and, and I'm, I'm I'm you're right. We're both smiling. Uh, Again, um, are, are we all sinners? Yes. Are we all, you know, children of God? Yes. Are we all, do we all make mistakes? Yes. You know, I, I really don't care. I, I believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the ever after. I, I believe in eternity. I, I try to live a good life. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Have I sworn a few times in my life? Yes. Have I, yes. I, I'm not perfect. No, come on, Kenny. I mean, really? No on the question. court? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> No, well, no, I, I, I went right back at them the way they, they, they came at me. And, you know, I have, I have great respect for the players, and that was all part of the game. And I'm friendly with so many of them that I, that I refereed. And um, I still love the sport, Will. I, I love the NBA. I, I mean, I, like, I love the players and, and, and the game and, and the, the thought of refereeing 10 of the greatest athletes in the world and some of the coaches I remain friends with. I just don't agree with the the policy that the NBA has taken with religion. I mean, whatever you want to do business-wise, whatever you want to take on with, you know, form this or form that or whatever you want to do with, you know, with businesses within the United States, that's fine. But I mean, I just don't think the NBA should be getting involved with and you know, you know, well there there's only 3 of us. It started out with 17, but then there came down to 5. One went the arbitration process, Leo Leo Richardson a good friend of mine, and he lost. My lawyer said he was going to lose. You know, it was, it was, it was a union lawyer, it was an NBA lawyer, and it was, it was an arbitrator that was hired by the NBA. Well, who, how'd you think his arbitration was going to go? Two to one. And there's a minor league referee who they bought out, a wonderful young man named David Walker, who, you know, could have been an NBA referee. And they, But there's three of us, Mark Ayat, uh, Jason Phillips, and myself. And, you know, it's been very difficult over the two years. I mean, my wife and I see a counselor. I mean, my wife gets, she cries, you know, I mean, I feel, I feel terrible with putting your family. People have no idea, Will, 
what this is like unless you've actually gone through it. I, I applaud you and I thank you for allowing me just to, to talk like this. But people have no idea and I sometimes think they don't care. But I've been doing a lot of podcasts. I, I, I took part in the event the other day, a week ago, that there, I spoke in front of almost 10,000 people. And there's a lot of people, Will, that that really just, just want our lives back and want to be allowed our freedoms. And that's what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting yeah, I'm for really- myself and a lot of other people who can't do it. I'm really sorry to hear the way that's taken a toll, an obvious toll that any one of us should be able to put ourselves in the seat or the shoes of on you and your family. Yet it must give you some some hope that you've seen you've seen some victories out there. I believe it was like New York State nurses. There's been there's been some victories out there of people who've been reinstated, got back pay on this fight for for medical or religious freedom. There's got to be some hope there for you. Oh. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, when I do my, when I speak, you know, I become friends with uh, Senator Jensen here from Minnesota too. We speak a lot about that. Yeah, there's been well, the the Air Force people, you know, in New York, they all won. Uh, there's policemen that have won. There's teachers that have won. The um, uh, what do you call it? The um, court reporters in the in, in the courts in New York have won. Uh, like you said, the nurses just won. I mean, it's phenomenal all of these cases. But people will just they don't have the. They don't have the money. I'm borrowing money, you know. I mean, that's okay. I'm so many friends are helping support me because they they want to push what's going on here. But people can't do that. They don't have the the funds, or they don't have the the wherewithal, or the the great attorney that I have. Or so there's a lot of people that lost their jobs, lost their businesses, lost their life, lost their livelihoods. So I just think it's wrong. Why? Because because of a vaccine that if if, if somebody doesn't choose to put it in their arm because of either a religious or medical belief, then then you're chastised? I don't right. get it, Will. I, I don't know where we're going in this world, but um, I'm not going to allow it. My wife and I are, are not going to change our philosophies on life, and we never, I never have for 40 years. And I've been the same way for 40 years, Will. If the NBA wants to think I've changed, let them come at me. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. On the note of that money and your fight, um, I know you have a give, send, go that you're asking people to help um, in your fight with the NBA. You want to tell us about that give, send, go? Well, first of all, thank you again. That's nice of you to bring that up. I, I, um, yes, I, I don't believe in in GoFundMe, and I'm, uh, I don't like the way they've taken you know just funds away from people because they didn't like their narrative. I, I want nothing to do with with GoFundMe, but Give Send Go is is you know partnered by a lot of religious groups. And um, so Senator Johnson, as a matter of fact, talked to me about that. And what I decided to do, Will, is I said, you know, anybody that gives, and I've been so humbled by the comments on this, on this, you know, you can go down and read what people have said when they, some people give $5, $10, $100, $50, $20, $500. And then they give the most wonderful comments that, you know, humble you to your knees. And it's just how they want me to keep this fight up. And they, that's what keeps me going. But I agreed that whatever money I received from this give, send, go, whatever I got, Will, and whatever I won as a result, I'm going to win this case. And when I win, whatever I get back that I paid out from this give, send, go, I'm going to pay it back. I'm going to give, I'm, I'll show you right online where it's going. I'm going to give it to other people that need it from a, I have a friend of mine that's got a clinic in, down in Texas that treats o- almost 50,000 um, adversely affected, you know, uh, people because of the vaccine. I'm going to give money to him. I'm going to give money to Wisconsin. This is a group of people at Wisconsin Unified for Freedom. I'm going to give people to people that maybe they're lawsuits. Maybe they're fighting the same thing I am. I'm not going to keep any of it, Will. But, um, you know, attorney's fees get a little crazy uh, and it's a little nuts right now, but uh, financially. So anything that can help is great. 
but I promise you, I will pay it back and I'll show you on the, on the Give, Send, Go account where it's going. And it's Give, Send, Go slash Kenny Maurer, M-A-U-E-R. Um, Ken, I, I want to take you up on this opportunity that I have with you for one moment to follow up on giving it back to players. So, Kenny, I, uh, I played uh, water polo uh, in college, okay. which has, has a few similarities to the NBA. And I would say it is even more subjective in its officiating than the NBA. And you may take issue with that with that characterization, but you know, can you call a foul on any given play? Can you truly see what happened? It's all happening so quickly. Water polo is tough because a lot of it's happening under the water for the referee. So what I, the reason I bring that up is I used to watch my coach, who by most estimations, I went to Pepperdine, his name is Terry Schroeder, and by most estimations, he's the greatest American water polo player of all time. I used to watch him work the ref, right? And he would, uh, he would keep count as well as the game went on. Hey, you've called 10 fouls on us and, and six on them. The implication <laughs> being, look, this is a subjective game and you're not, you're not even. My question for you is, in a game where there is a lot of gray area, um, Who's the best at working the ref, making a logical or passionate argument that gets your attention versus turning you off? And and we have to, I would have to guess, Kenny, there is some, I don't want to call it personal relationship, but clash of personalities in this moments that can work for or against you as a coach or a player. Well, first of all, I want to tell you, I played water polo, water polo a couple of times. You really have to be in shape to play water polo. People have no idea the shape you have to be in to play that sport. To do what you have to do constantly in water and you're not your feet aren't touching the bottom of the pool. I mean it's, right. it's like it's anyway, it's 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 great. Um you're right. It's 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 very subjective and I and I would say that the the best referees are the people that know how to handle that gray area. Um we're human beings and um somebody that's going to come at you and complain about every call well, it's going to go in one and out the other. And after a while, he's probably going to be given a technical foul and maybe ejected. But somebody that, you know, I always told people, if Michael came up to me once a game and asked me about a play or said, listen, I got hit on that play. If he said it once a game, I didn't even have to look at the replay after the game. Well, I knew I missed it because he, he, he doesn't, he didn't, he did it once maybe a game. But if you get a player that's going to come up to you and barrage you with, with whatever you want to call it, every other time down the floor with plays that you, it just goes in one or out the other. He has no credibility. I'm not listening to him because I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. Yes, I've never refereed a game without missing a call, but I didn't miss 13 calls the last two minutes. I just didn't. Um, I'm a professional and I'm, I wouldn't be here if I was, if, if I missed 13 calls. So yes, I mean, talking in a professional, it's about managing people. Anybody can call a foul will. How do you manage people? It's very emotional. How do you manage that coach? How do you bring them back off the ledge? How do you manage that player? How do you handle them? Left or right. Don't be afraid to admit you made a mistake. I would say getting at the free throw line or underneath the basket or when I'm taking the ball out of bounds. Hey, come here. You know, listen, that last play, you're right. I missed it. I didn't see it. I didn't get a good look at it. I kicked it. I missed it. And that goes that goes a long way with players because they make mistakes. And to, to show them you're human, to show them that you – you're not perfect. You can miss a play. Um, it goes a long way. And when you're a young referee, you don't get the opportunity to do that because they think you miss every play. So when you get, you know, when you get far along in your career, and then when you get to the, 
maybe to the level I was with experience wise. You're all, you have a rapport with these players and these coaches. Some of the coaches will I refereed them when they played. Right. I refereed their I refereed I refereed their their sons are now playing in the league. I refereed their fathers. So right. I mean it's 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 and I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of that the NBA and I'm proud of those athletes. But so no, a, a referee a, 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 an athlete that continues to complain to a referee um isn't well respected. He isn't well taken and you know what he's not going to get very far. If you have a if you have a complaint, get it to the referee in the right way and um he'll probably admit he was wrong. Or if he was right, he'll tell you why he was right, and that's how you build relationships. And that's I all wish about somebody, life, isn't it? building relationships. I wish somebody would have plain, explained this to Luca. I'm a huge fan of Luca, but I oh, wish somebody would explain oh. this to Luca. <laughs> I did. I went up to him one time in a game. I'm a, I'm a, hey, big fan. I think he's a great kid. I don't know him personally, but I went up to him one time. I said, you know, I said, Luca, no one's listening to you. You and complain at every play. And then he's wanted to talk about the play. I said, I'm not talking about the play down the court. I'm talking about during the game. You complain at everything. No, one, I'm not listening to you. I don't listen to a word you say. You have no credibility with me. Why don't you get back with the greats before you that when they complain once or twice? Nowitzki, when Nowitzki, he likes Nowitzki. You know, Nowitzki, when, he, when, when, when Dirk complained once or twice, I listened to him because I knew he was, he was right. But you, you complain at every play. I'm sorry. I'm not listening to you. You've lost me. And I said it. And Rick Carlisle was his coach at the time. And Rick's a class act. I told Rick the same thing. I said, Rick, that kid, he's got to learn what a foul and what, 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 what a foul is and isn't. He said, I know, Kenny, we're working on him. So great talent, great, great player. But I feel the same way. The kid's just got to rein it back in. And he's got to realize that uh, he's not getting fouled in every play. We're professionals, too. You know, I heard this the other day, Kenny. I, I, they were talking about some guys were talking about baseball. And they were talking about the difference between the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, and baseball. And it was really fascinating to think, do you know how many NFL coaches have been kicked out of an NFL game? I think the answer is zero. And, and i got to imagine those guys are working the refs and yelling at them. And, and in the NBA, you guys do kick a coach out. you know. But the, the truth is, it pales in comparison to what happens in baseball. I, I don't, I don't un- know the culture of the game. I mean, I do know the culture of the game, but I don't know how it got this way that the, the ump in baseball is in a position where his authority to boot someone is just much more liberal than it is in other sports. I don't know if you know umpires, and I don't know what the culture is in the NBA that they tell you, hey, last resort when you kick a guy out. But baseball seems to be the outlier. I know many baseball umpires, and again, have great respect for them. I, I, I think referees in general should do more of what Major League Baseball does. That's just my opinion. I'm old school. No, I oh. mean, if you're going to continue to ber- to berate a refer- an umpire on a called strike right in front of him, you know, I mean, and a lot of, a lot, you know, then they don't they don't take anything. They don't take any, you know what, they, they don't take it. They just get rid and they run them. And it's well known in the league that if you cross the line with, with an umpire, you're going to get you're going to get tossed. There is no like technical foul in in baseball. With our in our league, okay, you've got a technical foul. That's enough. Stop. Second one, you're gone. You can throw them on one, but usually it's the second technical foul that you're gone on. So, but baseball, they don't have that so-called technical foul warning, whatever the heck you want to call it. And so baseball, no, they 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 know when they go over the line, they're well. Those players and coaches are well taught as to what they can and can't say. And I can just in some of the words that are going back and forth, or I should say. Coming at the umpire, you know, <laughs> I won't repeat them here. But in basketball, it's the same. You know, 
they know they they know where the line is. They know what the magic word is. I mean, if you embarrass a referee, he should be given a second. I would not. I, I hey, if I embarrass a player, I'm going to get fined. I don't know that I've ever embarrassed the player. I'm not going. I'm going to get fined if they embarrass the referee. They're going to get a techno foul, and if they continue to do it, they're going to leave the arena. And I just tell you know, I just tell players, is it worth it? Is it worth paying the money and and and, and leaving the arena and hurting your team because you didn't like? And you know, you find out a lot of times when you get to know them, it wasn't the one call, Will. It wasn't even the two calls. They're human beings. They might have had an argument with their wife before they came to the arena. They might right. have, you know, have trouble with the finances. They might have had a a fight with a player. Who knows? But you know, sometimes it's a job, and you bring some things on the floor, and it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 difficult sometimes. Again, it's all about managing people. Many times I've said to the player, "Okay, what the hell's wrong today?" Because it isn't the call that I just missed or didn't miss. Something there's something more here. What's wrong? And in my 25th, 28th, 30th year, they would tell me. So let's go back to your case. Kenny, I appreciate you indulging me on that. It's a fun conversation, no. which I would love to explore more, including you can tell Please. me at some point. You don't have to tell Please. me today. You can tell me your favorite and least favorite players to, to referee. <laughs> but sure. uh, I, I, uh, I would. I would. Okay, well, then tell me that right now. Yeah, who's your favorite? Who's your least favorite to referee? Well, play, players, when I say least favorite, I don't always mean... I don't like them personally. I mean, I mean, they're so clever and they're so good and they're so. I mean, refereeing Shaq was 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 difficult every night because we let more plays go against Shaq. Shaq got fouled more, and we didn't call them than he fouled other people because he was so big and so strong. He'd get whacked and he'd finish with a dunk, and we'd say, "Oh, that was just Shaq. He, he made you know it's okay. Let's play on." Well, we weren't right. We were wrong. Same thing with Wilt way back when. I didn't referee Wilt. He was before my time. But Shaq was so difficult to referee. Post players like that were so difficult to referee. You know, Duncan, I mean, um, um, Elijah with his feet were so difficult to referee. And then you've got offensive players that were so, 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 like like the shooters. They go up so quick. Steph right. Curry is difficult to referee sometimes. Fan of Steph Curry. I think he's a great kid, great young man. But I mean, he I would have to think the, Harden. The, I would have to think Harden is in that category. Oh, he was next. Harden uses his off arm constantly. Well, you're watching the dribbler and you're watching the defender. Are you watching his off arm? Well, so I don't see him always push off with his off arm because I'm watching the dribbler and I'm watching to see if the defender reached and was hitting him, and he's warding him off with it. So so clever, so good, great player. I mean. So when I say difficult, I don't mean that they're, you know, there's there's some good and bad guys in the NBA as far as jerk-offs are concerned. But, I mean, there's probably, they feel the same way about referees. But as far as players are concerned, yeah, the, the clever ones, the good ones, the the first step, did they travel? Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler's tough to referee sometimes. The post players are tough to referees. I mean, I, we could have a long conversation, and I'd love to explain to you why. They're just so clever and so good that um, they fool us. And then the guys that flop, those are the guys I really don't like. The goes guys that never get touched and act like they got shot out of a cannon. That's the players. I go, I, I go back and look at the videotape and said the guy didn't even get touched and he acts like he's dead. I mean, there. I think from what I understand, the NBA is going to try to be more stringent on addressing that this year, and it's just it's not good for the game. All the European players started it when they came over from Europe. They all started that. And your favorite would it be what you talked about with Jordan? Was it just a guy that that works with you throughout the game? Uh, well, the thing about Jordan was is that, and I refereed his entire careers, Jordan respected the game and he respected us. I mean, you know, at least he made us feel like he respected us. 
I mean, I respect what you do, and I don't respect everybody in your profession, Will. I told you that already. But I respect you, and I'm not saying that because I'm on your show. People, I'm telling you the truth. Okay, I respect the, your stance, and I think you're fair on both sides. I respect that. Same thing with with, with, with players. You want players to re- if players don't respect me, do you think I do you think I like them? Do you think I respect them? I'm going to referee them. I'm going to be fair with them. But some players, you know, Michael was respectful of referees. He was the hardest working player on his team. He was the first one on the floor, the first one off the floor. He made everybody better. He got in every one of their their rear ends. He was all over them. But he was very respectful of us. I mean, back then we were even allowed to get autographs once in a while. Now they 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 want you to go through the league office. I understand. But I mean, I would go up to Michael and I was still wet behind the ears. I was in my fifth or eighth or tenth year, you know. And I would say, Michael, I have a I have a charitable organization that I'm going to give to a charity. Can I have your jersey? Would you sign? Yes, Kenny. You send it in to me. I'll get it done. He didn't have to do that for me. He didn't know me. I wasn't like going to be refereeing him in the finals that year or anything like that. I just thought Michael was a class act. I thought he he worked he worked hard, and I respected him. There's some ones nowadays. I I respect Jimmy Butler. I respect Steph Curry. I respect some of these guys. I mean, they're such great athletes. But um, you know, I guess you know one of my favorites was. Yeah, it was Michael. He was uh, he was as good as they came. He was good to us. Well, that's fun stuff. And um, anytime you want to come on here and explain to me a call during the NBA season when I get mad, come come April <laughs> on. You're welcome to come explain to me how it was right or it was wrong. Uh, I want to return to your case, though, Kenny. Um, the one part of your case that seems to me unconscionable that I I mean the entire thing seems unconscionable to be fair, but. I guess the, the, the egregious cherry on top is that they, they're going after your, it's reported they're going after your pension. Um, you know, something that you've earned over 36 years of, of a career. What's the rationale? How, how are they telling you that somehow you can't have your pension? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad I can talk all about that. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, well, I think you probably already know the answer. I know everybody that I've ever discussed this with, you know, as far as friends and family, they already know the answer. I mean, the NBA wants to break me. They want me to go away. They don't want me to fight this. They don't want bad publicity. They don't want to be asked questions. Come on. You're a smart guy. You know that already. So yes, I've got a wonderful pension that um, the rule said that when I was suspended my for the first year, I was not allowed, you're not allowed to get your pension until you're either terminated, retire, or you die. That's what the pension says. And it's, I don't know, 36, 42 pages. I could have sent it to you. I, I, I will do that the next time. I would, I would really like to do that. You can read it. Um, so I waited the 60 days. So then I waited the year. I wouldn't change my mind. So on October 1st of 2022, they, they terminated me. And by that time, I'd already had the lawyer. And we were already into, we went with the EEOC first and Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They sat on it for almost a year, Will. Didn't do a thing about it pushed it under the rug. So then we, we filed a writ to sue and went to the federal courthouse, federal, federal system on October 1st of last year. So when I was officially terminated in October, you have to wait like 60 to 90 days. I did that. In January or February, what, January I think it was, I applied for my, my pension. It's a defined benefit pension that I, that I you know, had, had accumulated through my you know, 36 years. So I was told by the league office via emails, I have all the emails, that I was going to receive the pension on March 1st. I was even going to meet with a dear friend of mine who is my financial advisor. I flew up to Minnesota to meet with him on that March 1st to discuss where I was going to 
put my money and what, what I was going to do this and that. I'd never done anything like this in my life. So then I had to get a lawyer. I've got two lawsuits now, Will. Two months mm-hmm. ago, my attorney's bills were $40,000 in one month. And so, so I, they said that in the, in, the, in, the, in the denial, they said, the judge may reinstate you. And my lawyer said, what does that have to do with anything? It says here that he was terminated. I mean, that he, that he excuse me, that he was, um, yes, he was terminated. He's allowed his pension. It doesn't matter whether the judge, what if this goes on 10 years? I mean, the right. guy has to wait for his pension 10 years because he may be reinstated. And another thing he said was they never even gave my client the opportunity to say, okay, let's say the judge does reinstate him. He, he just say, I don't want another pension. I'm done. I don't want another pension. They never even gave him that opportunity. You know, and I know they're just not denying my pension because they don't want me to have the funds to continue to fight them. Plain and simple, very simple. That's it. So we've got a lawsuit. We filed a summary judgment. It's in front of the judge. It's been there for five weeks and it could be ruled on today, tomorrow, the next day. But yeah, I mean, you know, you go from respecting and loving working for a company for so many years to first it was denying my religious beliefs and now holding off on my pension because you don't want me to have I'm sorry, Will. Um, that was like the final straw. There's no rationale for that. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no reason why they should be denying me my money. They just don't want me to have, they don't want me to be able to continue this. And so, yeah, that was, yeah, you can have your opinion. I'd love to hear it, but there's no law. You can read the entire pension and there's nowhere that says, well, you know, if he's involved in a lawsuit and the judge may reinstate him, then we don't have, we, there's, what they're saying, Will, is, is that any person that is terminated or retires from his job, he may come back to work for us so we don't have to give him his pension. And that's yeah. just not the law. That's just not yeah. the law. Yeah, no, how many people do you know that how many people do you know that have retired and then gone back and worked for the company? How many people right. do you know that may have been terminated and then took another position with that same company? Many. And so I don't understand the rationale. My lawyer doesn't, and we'll see what the judge says. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be any good faith interest in bringing you back. Um, and if you do, no. what, what will be your vaccine mandate? Uh, Kenny right. Maurer, this has been fascinating. We're going to stay up on your case. Um, I hope you stay in touch with us, and I'd love to continue to talk sports with you anytime you would like. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. When I get my word on that pension, let's get back, and uh, we'll talk some more of that. We'll, we'll talk some more of everything we talked about. How's that? How's that we'll that sounds everything. good. All right. Thanks, thanks Kenny. Bro. Thanks, right. Will. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kenny Maurer. You heard there where you can find his Give, Send, Go to help support his fight for religious freedom. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. Story number three. As I'm at the squirrel hunt this weekend, saddled up around a campfire, probably eating catfish, probably not cleaning a squirrel, we will be watching college football. It's what I love about small town Texas, you know, and what I miss about the Southwest Conference. I'll argue at night with half of these dudes about the Rangers versus the Astros. Then we'll come back together the next morning to both root on the Texas Longhorns. The guys that were on my side with the Rangers a few hours before will argue with me about Baylor or TCU or Texas Tech. I love that. It's almost like the Muslim. It's almost like the Islam uh, saying, you know, me against my brother, me and my brother against my cousin. Me, my brother, and my cousin against the world. It's like the incestuous little world of sports and college football in Texas, and I love that. But my eyes will turn away from the state of Texas. My eyes will turn to the Big Ten. If you look at the top standings in college football, 
three teams stick out, three Big Ten teams, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, all undefeated, and they all will play each other. It has to sort itself out. It will not be. I can't imagine two Big Ten teams end up making the college football playoff. So who will emerge? Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan? This weekend, Ohio State takes on Penn State. Now, every ounce of my being wants to root, wants to pick Penn State. I think I've done it year after year, and I've continuously lost. It's not that I hate Ohio State. I mean, I hate how Ohio State comes into Texas and takes all the best receivers, and they do. Ever since Brian Hartline's been the wide receiver coach at Ohio State, they don't just raid Texas. They get the best receivers everywhere, everywhere. And I hate that. It's not that I hate Ohio State in any particular way. I don't care about them versus Michigan. I don't really care about them versus Penn State, although I do love Penn State's uniforms. I love the clean, plain, blue, navy blue, and white. Love it. Nothing on the helmet. Love it. Sorry. I like boring, traditional, simple. But I just kind of like want something new. I get tired of Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. I want something new. Penn State has 14 returning seniors. Ohio State has not looked good as compared to Ohio State of the past. I think even Buckeye fans can admit that. Maybe Kyle McCord is getting to be a good college quarterback, but he hasn't been what you're used to in the past. The defensive line is good. Of course, the receivers are great. But, you know, you know it's been it's – been, it hasn't been a dominating, undefeated start to the season. And they feel more vulnerable than they have in the past. Where Penn State, it looks like on paper, absolutely, Will, this is the year you should do it then. Go all in. This is the year you should pick Penn State. And honestly, I don't care. I just want them all to beat each other. I'll take Penn State beating Ohio State, Ohio State beating Michigan. I don't know when Michigan, Penn State, maybe. But just beat each other up. That's what I root for. Or maybe I should root for one to be undefeated and the other to have two losses. I don't know. You're going to get one of them into the playoff. I don't know. Of course, I'm rooting back in to make sure that Texas can get in by winning the Big 12. But everything about me says pick Penn State. This is the time you could be right. And like a guy who's been at the roulette table picking red over and over and over, and you tell yourself, no, hey, it's going to go red. You're getting, I'm down to the last bit of my chips. And it was like, don't move off. Don't move off. The odds are, no, the odds are the same every time. It's 50 50. I'm moving back to black. I can't pick Penn State. Can't do it anymore. Been burned too many times. I'm going to have to take Ohio State, even minus the four and a half at home against Penn State. I'll see you next time with stories from the campfire, from the annual squirrel hunt and catfish rodeo. And we will pick up part two in our series of the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. I'll see you next time. Listen ad free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.